All right, we are back to Let's Go, the sermon series that we have been going through for a while. Steve's been leading us through the, the values that we as a church are pursuing. And uh, this morning I get to talk about being generous. Got to go back up to the top here. There we are. Here's how we define it. That we give our time, money, and abilities to impact our community with the gospel and the love of Christ. We give. We give our time. We give our money. We give our abilities to impact the community. The whole idea behind this set of values and the new vision statement is that we want to take the next step. We want to equip people to take of the next step. So as we go through this this morning, we're not talking about the person beside you. We're not talking about the richest or poorest person in the room. We're asking you, what is your next step in this area? How will your life become a greater reflection of your love for God? Now, we did read part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6. It's where Jesus really, it's Jesus' commentary on the Old Testament, if you will. Jesus we think of him in so many ways, but let's not forget he was also the greatest Bible scholar, the greatest Hebrew scholar. And when he taught, he was bringing the entire scriptures to life. That's why sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. Let's go through some of the sections of Matthew 5 and 6. This is just Jesus talking as he preaches. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other side. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, this context for that one is that the Romans had a law in the provinces that if a Roman soldier or Roman official was walking along the street carrying something, they could make you carry it for one mile. One, the mile was really the Roman measurement of things. So no matter what you were doing, if a, if a Roman citizen came by or a Roman soldier came by carrying a heavy load, he had the legal right to say, here, carry this for one mile. It was oppressive. It was abusive. It was offensive. Jesus says, go for two. Go for two. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Carrying on, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Remember what God did for his enemies? He died for them. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When you give to the needy, notice he doesn't say if. <laughs> I love that. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some of that is really hard to hear. Some of it is the kind of scripture that we skip over and say, mm, that's not for me. Because it is so radical. It's so against our nature and our culture. But it is the words of Jesus. So it asks one question then. What is our attitude towards our stuff? <laughs> How do we really relate to our stuff? How do we think our stuff defines us? You know, I, Finding Nemo was a funny movie for me a few years back, and some of the characters were crazy, but I love the seagulls because they spoke English, but they only knew one word. And as they gathered around a piece of food on the ground, they would all yell, mine, 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 mine. I hated that part because it sounded like me. So easy to live that way, mine, 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 mine. What's our attitude towards our stuff? We're going to start with a story that will take us back pretty close to the beginning of Scripture. And we're going to look at an angle of that story that we often don't look at. Genesis 18, this is a story about Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself down to the earth. And he said, oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread. Keep in mind, morsel of bread. That you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sayers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and he took a calf, tender and good, and he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set it before them. That's his idea of a morsel of bread. He, he makes this feast and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. It's a nice story, but let's look at this picture that's painted, Abraham is no small thing. <laughs> By this time in the story, Abraham has led his household, the men that work for him, as an army and has conquered kings. He has a massive, he is, he's a king without a country. 
He has a massive force of men that tend his flocks and, and do great things. He is rich. He's a rock star. And he's got the trophy wife. He's got a wife so beautiful that in her 80s and 90s, she's still turning heads. Seriously. So how does this man respond when three strangers walk by? Does he say, oh, head on back there. I'm sure someone will find you some food. Does he call his butler to say, would you take care of these guys? No, this incredibly rich and powerful man runs to them and bows to the ground and says, let me serve you. And then he goes into the tent to his wife and says, you're going to serve them too. She has all kinds of servants. She has slaves that could make a meal. But he says to her, you're going to do this, okay? You do your best. This wealthy woman. And then he runs to get the best of his flock. This is ridiculous. This is Elon Musk signing my shoes. Right? This is, this is an absurd story, but it's the depth of Abraham's character that he knows that all that he has is from God. And he lives in faith of the fact that one day he will have a huge family, although he does not yet have one child. He lives in faith of God's provision. And what he has is not his. It's God's, and it has been lent to him, and he personally distributes it. Now, what we think of often as the end of the story is, is verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. Really, it's the same story. Because we're going to see a contrast here. Because these three men look towards Sodom, but in the next chapter, only two of them get there. At least only two of them are visible. And they're the two angels that are sent to rescue Lot and his family. And we know that story. They enter a city that is just full of sexual promiscuity. And that's the part of the story that we often think about. That's not the part of the story that God was thinking about. Because God tells us why that occurred. And he does so in Ezekiel. So let's look at Ezekiel 16, 48 to 50. This is God speaking directly. This isn't Ezekiel making up a sermon. This is a quote. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters. Now, the idea of daughters, in most cases, was the outlying villages around a city. Sometimes scripture talks about the daughters of Zion. It doesn't mean all the females of Israel. It usually refers to the cities around sort of what we would call the suburbs that the daughters of Zion would actually include towns like Bethlehem and, and that kind of thing. So here he's talking about the community of, of cities. Your sister daughter Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did, not, and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. 
That's God's perspective on Sodom and Gomorrah. The hellfire and brimstone didn't rain down because of sexual promiscuity. It rained down because of this. God says this was the guilt of Sodom, pride, excessive food, prosperous ease. They did not aid the poor and the needy. That's what God saw in that story. And so he removed those cities. That's what God saw. Now, there's nothing wrong with having food in your cupboard. There's nothing wrong with owning things. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But it was the attitude behind the ownership. In fact, as the rabbis told this story, they had other stories that they had collected over the years. One of the things that was common in Sodom was that a, a trader would come in with his goods. They'd welcome him into the city. One person would come up and pick up a small thing and say, oh, I don't have money on me. Can I take this and I'll bring the money to you? And then another person would come up and say, you know, I'm, I, I will have money tomorrow. So if you give this to me today, I'll pay you tomorrow plus a little extra. And it should keep happening, just little things here and there, until finally all of the goods were gone and the merchant had not received one coin. And he would go into the city then and say, but you know, try to collect his money. And they would laugh at him. They would mock him. This was what the Hebrew sages understood as a problem in the city of Sodom. The last prophetic voice in the Hebrew scriptures is Malachi. And he says this in Malachi 3.5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. Now keep in mind this is after they had already gone into captivity and come back. They, had all, they felt they had already faced the harshest judgment that they could. But this is how God describes it. He says, I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress hired workers in their wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord. The evidence of these people not fearing the Lord, not having the right attitude toward God, not understanding who God really was, the evidence was that they oppressed hired workers in their wages. They oppressed widows. They oppressed the fatherless. They were against, or, or sorry, they thrust aside the sojourner. In other words, they were much like Sodom and Gomorrah. Mine, 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 mine. But notice how he ties all these things together. They do not fear me. They do not fear me. He doesn't say they're not religious. They got a temple. They got synagogues. They're doing the right stuff. He doesn't say they're not religious. He says they don't fear me. We go back to the beginning of Deuteronomy, right out of, right out of the hand of Moses. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. This is powerful being. This is the being that owns everything because he made everything and he could do whatever he wants with it. He executes justice. 
for the fatherless and the widow. That's what he does with it. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And this little phrase happens a lot throughout the writings of Moses, throughout the law. Remember what God has done for you. You were sojourners too. In and of yourself, you are poor and pathetic. But the blessings of God have made you happy and comfortable and blessed. It is not bad to be blessed by God. And we see some of those advertisements for, for charities sometimes, and, and we think, ooh, should, you know, I feel bad about all the stuff that I have. Scripture never says we should feel guilty about God's blessings. We should be thankful for every little thing we have, but we should be thankful to the one who created them. Our attitude towards God. I want to go back to Malachi for just one second because the last phrase I just want to unpack a little bit. Thrusting the sojourner aside. Now, sojourner just means a traveler. Someone who's in the city, traveling through the city, Notice he doesn't tell them to figure out why they are sojourners. They could be on the run from the law. They could be escaping justice in another city. They could have wasted all of their money on, on whatever, like the prodigal son did. They're homeless and hungry. That's all that God recognizes. He doesn't tell them to consider why. Should you be helping these people? Do they deserve it? It's not a question in God's mind. They're there, these sojourners, these homeless, hungry people. God says, take care of them. Don't think about why. Don't think about if they deserve it. Don't think about the mistakes they've made. Because you've made mistakes too, and yet God blesses you. God blesses you. So, the statement instead of how do we view our stuff, we can unpack that a little bit more. Our attitude towards our stuff reveals our attitude towards God. Do you fear God? It will be evident in the way you use your stuff. Do you love God? It will be evident in the way you use your stuff. Do you serve God? It will be evident in the way you use your stuff. Our relation to all the physical things that we own and control and touch is the proof of our faith in God. Now, again, it doesn't mean we're supposed to feel bad about the blessings. And there are many scriptures that talk about investing wisely, being responsible, taking care of things. Absolutely, this is not the opposite. They go hand in hand. Yes, invest wisely. Yes, if you worked hard and made wise decisions, you'll have more, sure. And you thank God for it, for giving you the ability to do that. Yes, that's God's blessing. There's no question. It's what you do with those things. It's how you view those things that show your love for God, that show that you really know who God is the creator and the giver of all things. Shows how you love God. Shows how I love God. 
The question then is, are we self-sufficient or are we God-dependent? Are we self-sufficient or God-dependent? It doesn't matter how rich or poor we are, being God-dependent is such a relief. Takes such a pressure off the rat race. We give God the credit. That's the key. We give God the credit. So this series is called Let's Go. The idea that we're moving forward, we're urging each other forward. We want to take the next step. What's, what's my next step? What's your next step in this idea of generosity? What's my next step in becoming more of a man of God with the things that I own, that I view my stuff? What's my next step? And for each of us, it could be different. It could be. Now, one of the reasons I love this topic is because it's easy to talk about here. There are people in this room that are incredibly generous, and you don't even know it, and they want it that way. I have been blessed over the years by the generosity of individuals. Others have too. We don't publish that. They do it because of God. <laughs> they love God, and they, they're open-handed with their stuff. There are business people in this room who run their business out of love for God. You'll hear some of them say, yeah, well, it's not really my business. God owns it. I just get to run it. Open-handed, generosity, being responsible, but not clutching things to their heart. I love the people in this church that, that do that. But all of us have to think about, okay, for me, what's the next step? How do I... Show Christ with my stuff. See, this isn't a program. We're not going to add Wednesdays at 12 o'clock, everybody be generous. It's, it's not a program. It's an attitude. It's a character. It's who we are. People who just know we are living in God's creation and we know we are going to live beyond God's creation. So we'll use the stuff we have now to glorify God and it'll be gone someday and we're still going to glorify God with whatever stuff we have in the age to come. That's the attitude. I want to tell you two stories to close. The first one is one that I heard years ago about a British preacher. And I think, well, I, I thought I knew who the preacher was, but I tried to research it a bit. And for some reason, I don't think it's the preacher that I thought it was. But I'm still going to tell you a story because I'm sure it's played its way out in, in, in many different situations. There was a British preacher, a famous man, and so he would get a lot of visitors in his house. And his wife was very hospitable. She, she served them. There would be there for tea, for meals. Sometimes it would be people in a crisis coming in and maybe their boots were muddy. Although she loved serving them and she loved her husband serving them, she still always worried about things getting broken and ruined. She worried about teacups getting chips in them by people who didn't know how to sip properly or the carpet getting muddy by someone coming in off the street. It, would, it was a tension in her. Until one day she realized, this is wrong. I can't do this. So she went through the house, and every single item she personally gave to God. God, this is your teacup and saucer. God, this is your carpet. So if something happens, it's God's. And you know what? The God creator of the universe, it doesn't matter if it's a chipped teacup. 
It's not that big a deal. And she found that once she had done that, she did her part to take care of the things, but they weren't hers anymore. She wasn't defensive or protective of them anymore. They were just one way of allowing God to love people through her. She gave everything in her life to God. The next story is one that you may have heard. It's the pineapple story. I love this story. It's a true story, actually. There was a, a missionary by the name of Otto Koning, and he was in Irian Jaya, the area that we now call Papua New Guinea, and working with tribal people. And, you know, this was decades ago when, when missionaries really sacrificed their lifestyle. There, there was no Internet or, or Amazon. When they moved into the jungle, they just lived in the jungle. And so this guy, you know, because he wanted to enjoy life as well, thought, I'm going to grow pineapples. So he grew a pineapple patch by their house. And the pineapples grew, and he couldn't wait to eat those fresh pineapples. But as soon as they became ready, they disappeared. In fact, other things were disappearing too. He noticed that when villagers came to visit them in their home, little things would go missing. And when he visited the village and he visited their homes, he would see their stuff in other people's houses, and he started to get angry. They're stealing. That's against the law. That's against the word of God. It's a problem, and he started to try to teach them about stealing and integrity. And he got mad when those pineapples disappeared. He'd plant more. They'd be gone. And, man, it, it just... They were his pineapples, It was a few years later when God finally said, what are you doing? They're just pineapples. In fact, some other things started to happen in the village that were, were seen as bad omens, and the people started bringing him his pineapples. They were thinking that maybe it was, you know, things were happening because of this. He said stealing was bad. It was just part of their culture. But So they started bringing him pineapples and other things as, as sort of as offerings, as tokens. And he just didn't make a deal out of it anymore. He, he didn't worry. People stole his pineapples. They're gone. That's all. That's not important. And one day, he was talking to some of the villagers about this change in him. And this is what they said. I'm just going to read it because I, this is the quote. They said, sir, you have become a Christian. You don't get angry anymore. We always wondered if we would ever meet a Christian. This missionary had been preaching to them about being a Christian for years, but in their minds, he wasn't one, obviously. Not with his pineapples. But it wasn't until he let go of the pineapples. He let go of his stuff. He stopped saying, mine, 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 mine. And he just started loving the people. And in their minds, he became a Christian. Because now he was generous. His whole attitude had changed to the things, the stuff that he had. It's funny. It's a, it's a funny story. But man, it kind of slaps me in the face too. Because I have to wonder... I've been preaching the Bible almost my whole life. And I wonder what change could happen in me 
that people who have heard me preach for years would finally say, Brian, you became a Christian. You finally get it. You're finally living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be generous as individuals, as a church, not as a way of making us look good to others, not as a way of attracting people to us. No, we want to be generous because we need to be open-handed with our stuff. If we really want to grow spiritually, if we really want to take the next step in our spiritual growth, individually and as a community, we've got to be able to be open-handed with God's things, the things that God made and God has given us, has lent us for comfort in our lives. What is the next step for you that will have people saying, you've become a Christian. What's the next step for you that will make it obvious to people that you are now finally living the gospel of Jesus Christ? That those strange things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount don't sound so strange anymore if someone's suing me. I heard of a woman whose husband sued for divorce and she didn't want to divorce him. And she talked, she was in a messianic synagogue. She talked to a rabbi about it. And she went into the meeting with the judge and she said, this is a list of things my husband has demanded. This is a list of things I also want him to have. And the judge looked at the man and said, are you crazy? You want to leave this woman? He said, yep. And the wife said, It's harder if we don't remember the blessings that God has given us, the joy that God has given us, the life that God has given us. But if we're really living in the fear of God, the awareness of God, the joy of God, you know, turning that cheek isn't such a big deal. I don't need to punch back. Going that extra mile is not such a big deal. I could preach to him the whole time. <laughs> We get to live for God. What an amazing joy. We get, we get to use the stuff that God created for his glory. We get to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, as we close, prayer teams, the worship team can come up. As we, as we close, prayer teams will come forward, and they're there for you. For anything. It doesn't have to be anything related to this service. Anything going on in your life, any difficulties, anything where you want clarity or, or healing, they would love to pray with you. They, they just love to share God's life with people. And maybe you are kind of confused by this series we've been going through because it kind of doesn't make sense because maybe you haven't given your life to Christ. You haven't fully understood Christ's life for you, his death for you. And maybe you're at a point where you need to talk to somebody about that. Talk to somebody on staff here or a good Christian friend that you know about how you can enter the kingdom and start living these things. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who teaches us your word. 
and we thank you for all creation and all of your blessings in our lives. We dedicate them to you in Jesus Christ.